16. Our theme for this evening as we study this psalm is contentment today and forever. Content today and forever. There's a website I use each week to create the the video thumbnails for our live streams. And as you'll have gathered by now, I'm fairly limited in the creativity department when it comes to those thumbnails. Uh, But this website is is very helpful for those of us who are uh, creatively challenged. And quite often, uh, this this website has the facility of just if if there's a a picture that you want to tie in with uh, the the words, uh, you just type in a word and the website will generate suggested images that sort of encapsulate that word. And and so quite often, I'll take a word from my sermon title, type it into this website and use maybe one of the, the suggested images. Well, last week for Psalm 16, I typed in the word content. As in a contented person, someone at peace, someone happy. And instead of what I thought would be suitable images for that, the website generated images relating to the word content. As in the contents of someone's house or content that we read online or content that we view on our TV screens or on our phones as entertainment. And I was kind of stunned for a moment that this was uh, the result of my search in it. But then when I thought about it, I thought, doesn't this perfectly sum up our culture right now? We're not encouraged to be content. We're encouraged to consume content. We live in a culture that isn't happy to settle for what we have. Uh, And there's a pressure in in various uh, walks of life to always be pushing on to the next thing. You've completed your, 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 you've passed your exams, what's next? New course of study, uh, a, a job placement or something. What are you going to do next? You get a few years into the job and people perhaps encourage you to start thinking about the next career move. You bought that model of phone or car or TV last year and you start getting little emails and text messages from the company telling you it's time to upgrade to the latest model this year. There can be a real lack of contentment in our world, a focus on content instead of contentedness. The amazing thing about this psalm is that King David speaks ultimately in this psalm of being perfectly content despite incredibly stressful circumstances that he faced. He begins the psalm by saying, Preserve me, O God, For in you I take refuge. That's a desperate cry for help in the midst of, we assume, stressful uh, difficulties. (coughs) David finds himself needing protection, needing reassurance, needing refuge. uh, Perhaps even from death itself as we'll consider later in the psalm. And yet, as we'll see also so often in the psalm, David speaks of great contentment. Our Lord Jesus, the son of David, was also someone who knew perfect contentment despite never having a roof of his own over his head, despite the the plots of of his enemies, despite, we assume, living in relative poverty for most of his life. He had perfect contentment. He was joyful and hopeful and obedient to his father despite all those difficulties and stresses. How was Jesus Content. How was David content? 
Well, I think the key verse of Psalm 16 is verse 8. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And the language there of setting the Lord before you, it's the language of seeing someone face to face, of having a a close, personal, uh, ongoing, uh, ever closer relationship with someone. In this case, David says it's between him and Yahweh, the Lord. When you see that word in capital letters in your Bible, it's, it's the word Yahweh, the special covenant name of God, the personal name of God known by his people. David says he has set the Lord always before him. He describes God in verse 5 as my chosen portion, my cup. Again, that personal relationship. David has determined that he will live face to face with God. In other words, he will be obedient to God. He will be directed by God as we considered this morning in Psalm 15. And the result of that, as we'll see as we work our way through this psalm this evening, is a wonderful contentment. And so I want us to see this evening our key thought that contentment comes from setting the Lord before us. Contentment comes from setting the Lord before us. And if we do that, if we have that close relationship with God, we see first of all this evening that we will have contentment for today. Contentment for today. Psalm 16 is a wonderful psalm in that it directs us to think about heaven and eternity. And it brings us such comfort, uh, uh, perhaps in, particularly in times when uh, we lose a, a believing loved one. We, we have the words of Psalm 16 reminding us that that loved one is with the Lord and that that's our ultimate destiny as well. But a lot of the psalm is actually about life here and now. The contentment that comes from setting the Lord before us Each and every day of our lives. Several areas of life or several ways in which David expresses contentment here and now in this psalm. First of all, he finds contentment in God's protection. Contentment in God's protection. He says in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Uh, The word there for refuge in the original is used 35 times in the Old Testament. 23 of those are in the Psalms. David really likes describing God as his refuge. Your refuge is where you go when you feel vulnerable, scared, frustrated. A refuge is a person, a place, a source of escape. David says, God is his refuge. Verse 2, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As I mentioned earlier, there were probably many times when David felt like he could trust no one. Some of his closest advisors turned against him. His first wife, Michal, the daughter of Saul, betrayed him. One of his sons, Absalom, tried to kill him. And ultimately, David knew that he could always turn to Yahweh, God, as his refuge. And so he finds contentment in God's protection. Secondly, David expresses contentment in the company of God's people. In the company of God's people. If you look at verse 3, 
As for the saints in the land, literally the word there for saints means holy ones, as it does in the New Testament as well. The saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And David goes on to contrast these saints, the people of God, with a totally different group of people. If you look at verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Hebrew of that verse is, is a little bit tricky, but what David seems to be saying is he would rather have the company of the people of God than have the company of idol worshippers. When he talks about drink offerings, most likely he's talking about the rituals of, of pagans, of idol worshippers. He says, I don't want anything to do with them. I want to be in the company of God's people, the excellent ones, the saints. And what we need to appreciate here, friends, is that many people in David's world would have said, you can have both. You can spend, you can spend time worshipping with the people of Yahweh, of Israel, the God of Israel. And why not get involved in some of the other sacrifices to other gods as well? What's the harm? One God's as good as another. One religion is as good as another. This is what we call syncretism. Syncretism is the idea that you can blend your beliefs and your worship practices with those of other religions and other faiths. Because after all, we are all, uh, we're all one people and uh, there is one great spiritual force and there are many ways to God and so forth. There was an element of syncretism in the service of thanksgiving during the Queen's Platinum Jubilee a few weeks ago. As well as having a sermon from a Christian minister during the service, there was a prayer from a Jewish rabbi. That's syncretism. That Jewish rabbi does not believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. That Jewish rabbi does not believe that Jesus is the son of God, the king of the nations. And such syncretism and more drastic forms of it existed in David's day and of course still exist today. But David says, I don't want to be part of that. I only want to be with the people who exclusively honour and worship and serve Yahweh, the one true God. Again, verse 3, the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Here's someone content to be with God's people. Thirdly, he finds contentment in God's provision. <clears throat> contentment in God's provision. If you look at verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. And the words there, portion and cup, they're, they're a picture of the most everyday thing you can imagine your food and drink. You sit down and, and you have a portion of food in front of you. Uh, and you have your cup, you have your water or uh, a beverage to drink from. The ordinary but vital things that keep us alive. David says, I rely. What he's saying is that God provides these things for him. God is my portion. God is my cup. In verse 6, he uses other language to describe how he has been well provided for by God. He says in verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. In the book of Joshua, we, we read about how the promised land of Israel was divided up amongst God's people when they finally arrived there. 
uh, amongst the tribes of Israel. Every tribe got their own part of the promised land and it was not to be transferred. It was to be kept within families and tribes forever. And so every tribe got their portion. And some tribes got bigger portions than others depending on their numbers and depending on the sort of the prominence or prestige of the tribes. Well, David says, I've been given a wonderful portion, a wonderful inheritance, the Lord himself. There's nothing else that I want or need. He's content in God's provision. And the last uh, way, the last area of contentment that he describes is that he is content in God's precepts. Content in God's precepts. Verse 7. I bless or I worship or I praise the Lord who gives me counsel. Counsel there, counsel there meaning direction, commands, wisdom. David loves the word of God. As we see all through the Psalter, he speaks here of his of his. Eagerness, his interest in the word of God, his love for the word of God, his concern to know what it says and to obey it. David delights to take counsel from God as a little son delights to take direction from his father. We said at the beginning, David's contentment comes from setting the Lord before him. One of the main ways we can set the Lord before us, of course, is to set his word before us, to open it up. And to follow the directions we find there. And David doesn't just obey God's word when it's easy. Notice verse 7. He says. In the night also my heart instructs me. The night or darkness in scripture is, is often a picture of a time of threat or temptation. Danger of some kind. David says it's in times like that. That I need to be directed by the word of God. And again here, of course, in all of these areas, friends, as we saw this morning in Psalm 15, these words are even more fitting and they're even more um, applicatory. They're even more appropriate in considering the life of Jesus Christ, who was always directed by the words of his father. And so here, friends, are the results of selling the Lord before us. Contentment. Content in God's protection. Content to be with God's people. Contentment in what God provides. Content to follow God's word. And so the obvious question for you and I this evening is, how content are we? How content are we? Is your life dominated by hurry, worry and busy? Or do you have contentment? Because you have set the Lord before you. Have you made God your refuge? People around us turn to all kinds of stuff and all kinds of people for refuge. For some people, food is a refuge. That's where they go when they're stressed or disappointed or hurting. Some people go to alcohol or to drugs. For some people, it's retreating into just hoping to switch off from the world and just watch hours and hours of movies or video games or TV. For some people, their refuge is just telling all their friends all their problems all the time. Me, 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 woe is me. Listen to the, the latest problem that I have and it's just venting and complaining. Other people feel that they have no refuge at all. 
They feel that there is no one who will listen, no one who can help, and they just are in despair. And the thing about all those refuges, friends, is that ultimately, as David says in the psalm, they multiply our sorrows. They can't give us contentment. So instead, do we, like David, find contentment among God's people? So many people today talk about some sort of interest in Jesus, but not his church. The church is such a mess. I don't get anything out of it. The church has hurt me. I disagree with my church. I'm tired of my church. Jesus died for his church, knowing full well how imperfect the church is. The church is Jesus' bride. If someone told me they like spending time with me, but they don't care much for my wife, I wouldn't want anything more to do with them. Ralph Davis says, faith in Christ simply spills over into love for and esteem for and care for his people. The church, the two go together. Paul says in Colossians 1.4, we've heard of your faith in Christ and the love you have for all the saints. Do you have a love for the saints, for the people of God, to be with them for worship and fellowship and witness. Are you content with what God has provided for you? Isn't it true that we're quick to notice the one thing that he hasn't provided and forget about all the good things that he has already provided? And that's not to say that we don't carry our burdens. Some of you carry very heavy burdens. But loved ones, many of us today can say with David, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I know that's certainly true for me. Born into a Christian family. Born into a gospel preaching church. Grew grew up under preachers who proclaimed the truth of God's word. Told us that we were sinners who needed to be saved by grace. Blessed now with the family that God has given to me. Blessed to have a congregation who want to hear God's word preached. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And boys and girls here this evening, for those at home, the lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. That means God has been very, very good to you, boys and girls. Don't lose sight of that. God has been extremely good to you with the parents that you have, the homes that you live in, the good things you have to enjoy, and especially that you live in a time and a place when you hear about the Lord Jesus Christ and how to be saved from your sins. The lines have fallen for Christians in our country uh, in pleasant places for many, many centuries. We've enjoyed freedom to worship and witness, no one harassing us as we came here this evening. Friends, do we find contentment in what God has provided Do you find contentment in God's precepts and submitting yourself day and daily to his word? Each one of us can make that decision every morning or at other times in the day to set the Lord before us by opening up the scriptures. Not so that we can tick a box, not out of drudgery or duty, but to learn more about our Savior, to set him before us, to to meet with him face to face as it were. We can be very good at setting our phones always before us, setting the the TV remote always before us, setting our work always before us. How much contentment do they really bring? 
It's no surprise that at the same time in our nation's history when Christianity has most drastically declined that people are also the least content and filling their lives with content. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. May that not be the case with us, friends. May we, like David and like the Apostle Paul and like our Saviour, be able to say, I have learned in every circumstance to be content. I consider everything loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And so if you want contentment for today, set the Lord always before you. Contentment for today, but secondly and finally this evening, contentment for eternity. Contentment for eternity. In the last few verses of the psalm, David shifts the focus away from our ordinary everyday lives to something far more dramatic. Look at verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. David has confidence and contentment not just for life now, but also for life to come. He says, God will not abandon my soul. He's saying here that his body will go into the grave or Sheol as he calls it here, but his soul won't. His soul will still enjoy life with God forever. That's what David's saying here. But then notice he, he goes a step further in verse 10. He, uh, he doesn't say in verse 10 that God won't allow me to see corruption. As in David, the psalmist, he says, God won't allow his holy one to see corruption. Verse 10, corruption there meaning decay. Uh, the idea is of a corpse rotting in the ground. And yet David says God's holy one won't experience that. What does he mean? What's he talking about? We know that David himself, after all, his body has seen corruption. He did go, uh, he did die as, as, as all men do. And even though he was God's chosen king, he was the saviour of his people during his lifetime. He, he won victory after victory in the battlefield. And yet, David physically died. So what's he saying about God's holy one not seeing corruption? Well, it could be very confusing if we didn't have the New Testament to tell us exactly who David is talking about here. We read it earlier in Peter's Pentecost sermon as he preaches about Jesus. He says in Acts 2.24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then Peter says this, David says concerning him. So Peter's about to quote from David. And he says that these words of David that he's about to quote, they are words about the Lord Jesus Christ. What exactly does, David go, or does, does Peter go on to quote? He quotes Psalm 16. Acts 2.29 Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, David, his body has seen corruption. Being therefore a prophet... <coughs> And knowing that God had sworn that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter says, David in Psalm 16 is prophesying about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's Jesus' body that wouldn't corrupt in the grave. It's Jesus, the descendant that God promised to David that would defeat death and be raised from the dead. It's him that David is singing about. It's him who gives David contentment for eternity. (coughs) Verse 11 is a beautiful verse. It's not just talking about the future. It's a real sense in which if you're a Christian here this evening, your eternal life has already begun. It hasn't got as good yet as it will get. But you are in Christ. You are alive in Christ now. And you will always be alive in Christ. But look carefully at what verse 11 says. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Contentment. And I want you to understand this is, this is so comforting for us, friends. The believer, for the believer, the path of life does not end when our bodies go into the ground. Now, of course, unless Jesus comes back first, our bodies will be in the ground for a time. And they will go the way of all the earth. But that doesn't mean that we won't meantime be enjoying fullness of joy and eternal pleasures at the right hand of Christ. And even then we will be looking forward to something even better. The resurrection of our bodies. Joined together with our souls. In the presence of Christ forever. That's what lies ahead for the believer. That's what can give us contentment. Not just for now but for eternity. No matter what we might be facing today. That's what we have to look forward to forever. J.M. Barry, uh, writing his, who wrote the, the novel Peter Pan, uh, when Captain Hook is fighting Peter Pan, Captain Hook says, it's time for you to die, Peter. Peter Pan replies, to die will be an awfully big adventure. But for the Christian, death itself isn't the adventure. Death is an awful, horrible intruder in this world. But for the Christian, death is nothing to be feared. It's a defeated enemy. And after death... The real adventure begins. Everlasting pleasures. Resurrection. True contentment. And it was the thought of those everlasting pleasures that sustained the Lord Jesus as he went to the cross and died for his people. The writer to the Hebrews says Jesus could do it because of the joy set before him. Because he knew that lasting pleasures would be his. And he ascended into heaven. And was back with his father once more. And so friends when we're not getting what we want. And when we're tired of the things that are going wrong. And when we wonder about God's plans and God's timing in our lives. And when we've had enough of this world and all the bad news in it. Or if the day comes when we realize that we ourselves are on our deathbed. Friends we need to think about heaven. We need to look forward with hope and joy to the pleasure set before us at your right hand, at the right hand of God. Yes, we have our frustrations and our anxieties and our heartbreaks. But loved ones, discontentment, a lack of gratitude, a lack of hope doesn't belong in the Christian life. In fact, it's something to be repented of in the Christian life. 
Charles Spurgeon says, Discontented spirits are as unlike Jesus as the croaking raven is unlike the cooing dove. Martyrs, he says, have been happy in dungeons. They've been happy in dungeons because like their saviour, they have thought about the joy set before them. Some writers have even suggested that discontentment was the first sin. Perhaps we don't need to be as dogmatic as that, but it's true, isn't it, that Adam and Eve weren't content with what God had given them. The lines had fallen for them in perfect places in the Garden of Eden. And yet it wasn't enough for them. They fell for Satan's lie that more would be better. Discontentment led to death. May it not be the death of us. May we set the Lord always before us. And may we be content in him. Maybe you're not a Christian today. Your biggest problem is not that you could do with a bit more money. It's not your health. It's not your work. Your biggest problem is that someday you're going to die. What happens then? What happens to your soul? How confident do you feel this evening about your future? Mentioned in the sermon last Lord's Day evening, uh, a reference to President John F. Kennedy. I'll mention him again this evening. It's not that I'm a particular fan of him, but just his life provides some good stories. Um, In 1960, when Kennedy was running for president, he decided to pick a man called Lyndon Johnson as his vice president. A lot of Kennedy's closest advisors were urging him not to pick Johnson. They just didn't like him very much. They thought that he could pick someone better. But Kennedy reassured them. He said, look, I'm 43 years old. I'm not going to die in office. So the vice presidency doesn't really matter. Three years later, Kennedy was assassinated. And his vice president, Lyndon Johnson, took his place and became the president. See, we're all so confident in our brain power, our achievements, our plans. God might have other plans for you. And so put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one whose body went into the grave and didn't decay, who has risen again and who provides the hope of resurrection for all who trust in him. He knows how to lead us on the path of life. He knows how to give us contentment today by directing us to God's word. And he knows how to lead us through death's dark valley and into eternity where there will be fullness of joy and pleasures to content us forever. Amen.